Mother's Day. It's good to be with you guys. So glad that y'all are here. We are going to be in the book of James. So you can turn to James chapter 3, verse 13. Um, and I'd love that all these kids, you know, obviously my house looks a little bit like that. Um, but uh, it is such a joy. We really do love having kids around because as kids are in here, then as you're singing, they're looking over going, Somebody else singing songs to Jesus, just like my parents. Um, I remember as a kid, then we always sat in the same pew. We had pews, and we were a good Baptist family that always sat in the exact same spot. And so our name wasn't on it officially, but it was ours. But I used to lay on the pew and sleep when the preacher would get quiet, which he didn't do often. But uh, I, I still remember the impact of those around hearing the voices of people that believed this truth that Jesus is worth it. And so you are a very vital part of that. On this Mother's Day, moms, I, I can't express how grateful we are for you that this is a day where we get to catch up on all the things that we didn't say thank you for. And so thank you, moms, for uh, the way that y'all love so well and the way that y'all model so much for us. James chapter 3 Verse 13, I want to read this passage for us and then we'll jump into it. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable and gentle. It's open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. As I read this, I couldn't help but think about the words of Jesus where he said, a wise man is someone who hears his words and does them. And a foolish man is one who hears his words and doesn't do them. But he went on and he gave this illustration to both of those, that a wise man is like one who hears the word and does them, or like a man who builds his house on a rock. And the wind comes, and the storm comes, and they blow against it, and And it stands. And the foolish man, the foolish one who hears the words and does not do them, well, well, that's like a person that builds their house on the sand. And the wind comes and the rain blows and the house falls and there's a lot of destruction. That destruction is great. See, I, I think if we just thought just a minute, what did that look like? Well, Jesus was saying that you know a wise person based off of their actions. That wisdom shows up in actions. And so, James is saying the exact same thing to us here. And I just think if we would think through this, so so a person building a house, well, you can build it for efficiency. I want to build it fast. Well, you're not going to dig down and find a foundation of rock if you're interested in efficiency. Doing it fast, well, they might have done it and said, well, I'll take my chances. 
maybe a storm won't come. So the foolish person didn't dig down. The wise person said, you know, the future reality that a storm will come tells me to act in this certain circumstance in this certain way. Foolish man might have said like, well, I just want to do something else, so let me just throw this structure up. Because they were distracted by the things of the world. Whereas the wise man said, no, there's priority that must be taken. And so they dug down and laid a foundation. Whatever the reason was, or whatever the lack of reason was, we know that there's a wise person and a foolish person based off of the character which produced an action. And that's what James is going to tell us today is that wisdom, he asks a question right here at the beginning. He asks this question and says, who is wise and understanding among you? He, he poses a question to us, a test for wisdom. How do you know if you're wise? And look at what James points to. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. That, that you know someone is wise based off of their actions, based off of their conduct, based off of the attitude in which they do those things. You see, James, I think, would go on and summarize it maybe in this way, that, that wisdom is not just possessing knowledge, but rather being able to correctly apply knowledge to a certain situation or circumstance. That wisdom is not just about knowing things, but being able to apply those things. Proverbs is, can be confusing in this because you basically have a verse that says, answer a fool according to his folly and you're a fool. And then you have a, basically the same thing that says, don't answer a fool and you're a fool. And you're like, well, wait a minute, which do I do? Well, that's exactly wisdom is knowing how to apply knowledge to a particular circumstance or situation. But maybe to simplify it a little bit more is that, that wisdom is not informational, it's behavioral. Wisdom is not informational, it's behavioral. Why could we say that? Why could James say this? Well, he's going to make this argument that, that wisdom produces character and character produces action. Wisdom produces character, and character produces action. You always function out of your character. You act and do things out of the reality of who you are. And so James is going to walk through this, and he's going to give us these parallels of earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And it's interesting that he would start and he would say, the way that you know a wise person is by their actions, their good conduct. And then he's about to unpack this and say, but here's all the characteristics of a wise person. Because out of your character will flow your actions. That's what James has been saying this whole time. That if the indwelling word of God, Christ himself, has dwelled in you, then Christ ought to come out of you in your actions and character. And so let's pray and ask that the Lord would give us some wisdom as we jump into this. Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, that we might be attentive as your word holds up a test for us, an examination 
to look at our life and the character of our life to see if we are functioning out of earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom. Lord, would you be gracious to us in convicting our heart in areas? Lord, but knowing that you're gracious and merciful, that you're with us, that you have given us the power of God to overcome sin and temptation, that like the Apostle Paul who said, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Lord, we thank you that Jesus has paid it for us, that we are no longer slaves to our flesh, but that we're free. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's work through these, this, these two parallels of this test, earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Earthly wisdom's first. We're going to see a motivation, we're going to see characteristics, and then we're going to see the result of what that produces. So look with me, 14 to 16. James says this, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The motivation of earthly wisdom is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, which flows from the heart. That our heart is the engine, it's the, it's the pump house of which all actions and character flow out of. That's what James is saying. And so if the motivation of your heart is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, it will produce the things which selfishness and jealousy produce. So let's think through this. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, what is at the center of that? At the center is self. The center of a heart which is jealous and selfish is self. That in your heart, who sits on the throne? Is it Jesus or is it you? That the motivation of this self and the reason that James can call this a, an earthly wisdom is because it follows a logic. That the logic is if you are looking out for yourself, you will act in a way that gets what you want. That you sit on the throne of your desires, your will, your truth, your sovereignty. And anyone or anything that, that is an obstacle or opposition to that, you will fight. That you'll be at war against. That you will oppose to overcome it. Because you've got to get yours because no one else will fight for you. That when self sits on the throne of your heart, then you always look out for you. Jealousy. You can't celebrate the success of anyone else because you want to be successful. You can't be encouraged that someone else is doing well because what about me? my reputation. I think we see this in our kids, but do we see it in ourselves? Do you have a hard time celebrating the success of those around you? Well, there may be a root of bitter jealousy, selfish ambition 
in your heart. See, it's interesting how James has been flowing out of this, that he's been talking about the, the spring which the heart flows and which produces action. And now he's telling us that deep down in there, if there's this jealousy and ambition, then it's going to come out. But, but how crazy is it? He goes on and says, but if you boast of these things, you're lying. So he tells them, do not boast and be false to the truth. Why would they be boasting and being false to the truth? Well, they would be saying that I love Jesus, but I don't have time for Jesus. They would be lying and saying that Jesus is the most important thing in my life, but I can't live without this. They would be lying and saying that that Jesus is worth everything, except He can't have this part of my life. That Jesus has made me new, but I can't beat this in. They would be lying about the truth that Jesus is Lord of their life, but he's not actually Lord. And so they would be lying about the truth. You see, their their wisdom would be producing a character which produces action. And so you know, based off of their action, what their wisdom is. He goes on and he tells us the character. What is the, what is the characteristics of a life that is functioning according to earthly wisdom that's jealous and ambitious? What is the character of that? This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. These are the three enemies to the Christian life. The world the flesh, and the devil. That it's earthly, worldly. That there is a world philosophy that is functioning that says, you do you. Don't care about anybody else. You get yours. Watch out for number one. And whatever it takes, do it. That's the philosophy of the world. That's earthly wisdom. And James is telling us that that is not the wisdom that comes down from heaven. Earthly wisdom is also unspiritual. It's fleshly. It's what your flesh produces. It's the old man that James that Jake encouraged us last week that we got to take off. It's the one that says, if it feels right, do it. If you have the desire, it's good. It's the natural man which Christ went to the cross to set you free from. And yet now you're functioning according to it. That that you're living out a characteristic, a life which is characterized by flesh. Doing whatever your passions desire. That's not from God. That's not the wisdom from above. It's fleshly. But then lastly... James tells us that 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 sort of wisdom, that sort of thought process, that sort of actions which are produced by a character of that is demonic. It's just spiritually demonic. You see, we would be wise to heed this warning in a culture that is sometimes gun-shy of supernatural things that, that James reminds us that there is a battle in spiritual places that is going on. 
that Satan is working actively against the kingdom of God to bring about destruction and confusion. And that when we function according to the things of this world, the wisdom of this world, we're aligning ourselves with the the demonic forces that are at work. That there is a battle in the spiritual realm that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. And so when we begin to act in such a way that produces actions based off of a character which is informed by the wisdom of this world, that's the path that we're choosing. See, James, like all the wisdom literature in the scripture, presents to us these two paths. And it says that there's a, there's a godly path and there's a worldly path. And what the wisdom literature shows us is that it pulls the destination of those paths up front for us. And it says, hey, here's the destination. Here's where this path leads. Is that where you want to go? Is that the end that you want? Because here's what's happening in this reality with the demonic forces that are at work, with the flesh that is at work, with the worldly ideals, is that they tell you little lies like this, like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Don't be one of those crazy Christians that's like, takes this stuff literally. Don't, don't get all bothered about that. It's just life. Like, don't worry about it. It's just one time. It doesn't really matter. They're just judgmental. See, it tells you these lies of like, it won't cost you anything. That nobody will know. That everybody's doing it. When the reality is, that the destination that it leads to is death and destruction. Let's look what James shows us. He shows us the results here. Verse 16. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, like in the path where those exist, in the character of the heart where those exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. He shows us the destination. He shows us the results of a life characterized by the wisdom of this world, that it is destruction, disorder, and vile practices. See, God is a God of order, and Satan brings about disorder. God is a God of peace, and Satan brings about chaos. I think there's a pastoral point here for us that when we see the results of this, as believers, we can be looking at a culture in which we live, and we can be looking at the world in which we're raising these kids, and we can look at the school systems or the, the culture that we're sending our kids off to in college or, or when they're getting out, and like, where are they going to live? And we look, and it's chaos. And we ought not to be shocked by that because of the spiritual reality. But wisdom would say, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to the chaos and disorder and every vile practice that's going around? Does it send you into chaos and panic? Does it send you into worry and fear? Wisdom would say, no, no, no. 
don't go there. Don't go there. That's a fleshly response. That's an unnatural response. The wisdom of God would point us to something different. It would point us to trusting in a God who is a God of order. Look at verse 17 and 18. We see the worldly wisdom. We see how the one might respond who is walking according to the wisdom of God. Look at it with me. It says, but the wisdom of, from above is first pure. As I looked at the different commentators, then the, this purity is set apart here. That it, it's this idea of holiness, and it's the motivation of the, the one who is motivated by the wisdom of God. That it's the motivation of that is holiness, set apartness, differentness. That we would be like Christ. That the motivation of the one that is following the wisdom from above is that I want to be like Jesus, pure, holy, set apart. So it's first pure as a motivation, and then look at the characteristics that follow. What does one look like who is full of the wisdom of God? Well, first, they're peaceable. There's seven of these, and so we're going to walk through them. That, that peaceable. Are you at peace in your own heart, but also with those around you? Are you at peace with your coworkers, your family members, your friends, your extended family? Are you at peace with them? The wisdom that comes from above is peaceable and makes peace. Then it's gentle. We're building, and I would love for you just to imagine as we build this profile, Jesus. Jesus was peaceable. But look, he was gentle. Is the characteristic of your life that you're gentle? I think it can be helpful for us. What does that even mean? Well, gentleness is strength under control. James has already hinted at this word in talking about the tongue, that the tongue is like a, a bit in a horse's mouth, that gentleness is the, the wild horse which has been brought under control in order that it's productive, in order that it's useful. Is your life characterized by power under control? A couple of examples that Moses was called gentle or meek. And you think about his life that, that he was this leader which was capable of outbursts of anger, right? He was capable of this strength to lead the people of God, to, to act out and to take a stand, to stand up for truth and what was right. But he's called gentle and meek in those moments where that strength is under control. Again, you think of Jesus, the power of God, and yet it didn't have outbursts. It was under control. It didn't just react out of anger. Sure, he got angry, but he was under control. Let's just ask a diagnostic question here that, that when you're mad, what do people do around you? Stay away from dad. Stay away from mom. They might blow. 
We can be real. Do people shy away from you because you're not under control? You're not gentle? Or is your life characterized by, wow, I know that they got upset. I know that they're ticked, but it's under control. Gentle, power under control. Does that characterize your life? It flows from the wisdom which comes from above. Next, James tells us that it's open to reason. I think this is helpful for us that in an age where reason seems to be lost, are you open to reason? Can someone come and question you and say, is that the right thing? Are you open to reason or are you like, don't talk to me, my way or the highway? See, that seems like the wisdom of the world rather than the wisdom of God. That you would be open to reason. That you would be open to reason from those close to you, from those believers around you, but you would also be open to reason from lostness. To have conversations with people rather than to write them off in judgment. That you would be open to reason and converse and talk. That you wouldn't just get mad and be hateful, but that you would be rational and reasonable. Next, James tells us that it's full of mercy. I love this because of just the the image that's here. Full. Not just like, eh, I'm skimming by on some mercy. But no, the, the one who is characterized by the wisdom of God is full of mercy. That it overflows out of you that you're merciful and kind. I'll just tell you, if you're like this, people want to be around you. They know that you're a safe place to land or to bring their brokenness because they'll find mercy. Because the only way that you act like this is when you dive deep into the reality that that's what Jesus has done for you. That he's full of mercy and that you can draw near to him. And so if that's the indwelling that has come into you, then that ought to be the overflow that comes out of you. That you would be full of mercy and good fruits. That your actions would be good. The saying is never wrong to do good. So be about doing good that that you look for good things to do. It's not just the bare minimum of what's required of me, but it's what can I do? The scripture says, for he who knows the good which he ought to do and fails to do it, to him it's sin. That we ought to be about doing good because God has done great good to us in sending his son to save us. That the wisdom which comes from above